1: Lift Up Jesus is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church in Los Angeles, California. Our pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with his message for us
2: today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, as I speak to you today from loneliness to God with us. According to Slate magazine in two recent surveys, people suffering from loneliness from the 1980s has doubled from 20% to 40%. That is not included this year. That survey was before this year. It would not surprise me if the number has doubled again as many as 80% of Americans suffering from some form Of loneliness. They've actually done studies, and I've read some of these studies on elderly people and social isolation, which has been forced upon us. They have concluded in these studies that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die early. That increased mortality risk from loneliness is comparable to that of smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. Social isolation impairs the immune system. It boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and even heart disease. So loneliness is not just making us sad. Loneliness is lethal in many, many ways. Now, this may or may not surprise you, but as we go through these Christmas messages, again, all four of them, you will discover that when God first sent His Son Jesus into this world, at that time, the world was a lonely, lonely, lonely place. Right before Jesus was born, most Jews believed that God had forsaken them. They were being ruled by the Romans, a morally corrupt government that was overreaching into their lands, into their cities, and into their lives. Rising taxes by the Romans were taking their toll. Freedoms were being lost. And there was a wicked king named Herod was the ruler. God had not spoken to them via a prophet for some 400 years. The Jews literally felt forsaken. And as far as they were concerned, any king or Messiah that they were looking for would have been a military king who would help them overthrow the pagan romans controlling palestine and it's in that context it's in that landscape that jesus arrives so as you have your outlines as we go through this text my first point i want you to write this down we begin this story with what i call big trouble from the start big trouble everybody say big trouble this is not little trouble this is big trouble And you know this story, Mary is pregnant. This is how the story starts. Mary is pregnant and her fiance, he doesn't know much, but he knows this, that he's not the father. Now anyone here can surmise the surprise and the shock and the anger and the heartache that Joseph must have felt when he learns that the girl that he's engaged to and the girl of his dreams and the girl that he loves and the girl that he wants to marry and the girl that everyone thinks is so pure shows up pregnant and the only thing he knows is that he's not the father because he's never slept with her in a biblical sense Verse 18, here's how it goes. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged, which means that she was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the what? Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband was a righteous man the new international translation says that he was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly the most important story in the history of the world begins with a young carpenter named joseph who's engaged to a young girl named Mary, who's a pretty good girl, and while they're planning their wedding ceremony, she shows up pregnant. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that at this point. All he knows is that his bae is pregnant. So Joseph considers all of his options. Joseph is a God-fearing man. He's a righteous man. He knows the law frontwards and backwards. But the law states, write this down, the law states that Mary should be stoned at worst and divorced at least. There's only two options as far as Joseph is concerned. She should be stoned, which is what the law says, or she should be divorced. Now, there's a Bible reference there. I'm going to tell you what it says. In the Old Testament, here's what the law said in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, that if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman both must die. You must purge this evil from Israel. That's what Deuteronomy 22:22 says. And Joseph knows this. However, at this time in Judea, the romans are in charge and nothing that extreme could be carried out according to the romans Uh, if there was going to be any corporal punishment it would be done by the romans not the jews the jews were not allowed to carry out corporal punishment like stoning people to death so his only recourse was divorce you see joseph is in a horrible dilemma if he marries her Others are going to assume that he was the one that got her pregnant out of wedlock. And since he didn't know about the Holy Spirit impregnating his wife at this point, his response is really a normal response, assuming she had been unfaithful to him. So he planned to divorce her quietly, which means he was going to do it under the radar. Either way, write this down, either way, they would both feel shame. Stoning her to death would have been deserving under the law but being divorced for the crimes of passion would have been publicly announced to the entire community her reputation would have been ruined forever so when you read in verse 19 that joseph didn't want to expose her to public disgrace and he had in mind to divorce her quietly what you draw the conclusion there is joseph's a pretty good guy He's trying to spare her from further shame and disgrace, but he's also trying to uh, save himself from shame. But then something supernatural happens. In the midst of big trouble, there's a big talk from an angel of God. Everybody say big talk. We got big trouble, and then we got a big talk. And I want you to note that in the story you've got all this trouble and in the midst of all that trouble you have this big talk from an angel of God and in the text the angel talks about three things I want you to write them all down at first I'll come back and talk about them number one the angel talked about a miraculous conception and then the angel uh, talks concerning a messianic Christ And then the angel makes a mighty claim. So you've got a a miraculous conception, a messianic Christ, and a mighty claim. Now the magnitude of these three angelic points cannot be overlooked. First is the miraculous conception. The miracle of all miracles. That Mary's egg was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Meaning that Jesus is fully man and fully God. People ask the question, why do we celebrate the birth of this baby? I mean, every year in the United States, there's four million babies that come into our world. Why do we sing and worship the birth of this baby Born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Why such a fuss about one baby born to a peasant woman in a far distant land centuries ago? Why do we do that? Well, because this baby was born of woman and born of God. He's not half man and half God. He's fully man, and he's fully God at the same time. Now look at verse 20. After he had considered this, this is Joseph, and what is he considering? He's considering to divorcing uh, Mary quietly. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is what's called the Immaculate Conception. Notice what the angel says next in verse 21. She will give birth to a what? A son. Now, this, they didn't have pregnancy tests back in those days. They didn't have those. They didn't have what we call today gender reveal parties. They didn't have those, that stuff. He just in this dream. This angel shows up and says that Mary is impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son. You can paint the room blue. And you are to give him the name. Jesus. Because he will save his people. I want you to say, save his people. people. And what that means is this child is the Messiah. And not only is Jesus the Messiah, here's the mighty claim. He came, he came to save his people from their what? Their sin. Now, there's a little box in your notes. Jesus, that name, comes from a Hebrew name, Yahushua. And Yehoshua is the Hebrew word. We kind of know the Aramaic version of that word, Yeshua. But what that word means, what Jesus means, is that the name itself means Yahweh, which was the name they had for God. Jesus means Yahweh saves that God saves you're to name this boy God saves and again when Jewish people thought about a Messiah who would save them they were thinking of a military hero who would lead them to overthrow the Roman government obviously Jesus wasn't a military hero that they were looking for Instead, Jesus came. You've got to get this point. Jesus came to save God's people from an even greater enemy than Rome. The Messiah came not to save Israel from Rome. The Messiah came to save Israel, write this down, from their own sin. The purpose of Yeshua was God coming into this world as a baby, fully man, fully God. He lived a sinless life. He goes to the cross and He dies the sacrificial death to save people from their own sin and to give victory to people over their own sin, thus would save Israel and bring joy to the Jewish people and bring joy to the whole world. Now, in the midst of this big, essential, theological talking points from an angelic being that we read and discuss every year at Christmas, I want to use our remaining time looking at our third point of our outline. We've got big trouble from the start. We've got a big talk from an angel. But number three, get this point. There is big trust when it's easier to doubt. Big trust when it's easier to doubt. For me personally, this is just as equally as important as anything we've looked at so far. And most times we skip right over this next, this next major point. I want to read these verses to you. Look at verse 22. All of this, everything that we've talked about, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the what? Through the prophet. Verse 23. That the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Turn to your neighbor and say, God is with us. Go ahead and say, God is with us. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are not alone. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I've got three subpoints. points. They're all critical to our study. Number one, the scriptures don't lie. The scriptures don't lie. I really believe that most of you already know and understand the big talk from the angel. But there are those, there have to be there, those here that kind of doubt some of this story. And I just say to you today, if you doubt any, like if you doubt the virgin birth, like you can't just, like, you just can't get your mind around that thought. If you doubt the fact that this is God coming into the world in the form of a baby and that he's fully man and fully God and You just can't get over the fact that the Savior of the entire world came from a little tiny town called Bethlehem. Listen, if you doubt any part of the Christmas story, all you need to do is study the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't lie. Verse 22 said that all of this came about to fulfill what the prophets had said. The proof is not in the pudding. The proof is in the prophets. And just study the Scriptures. I've given you just There's hundreds of them.
3: It was tough in the 80s growing up um, in all over South Central Los Angeles. A lot of gang activity, a lot of violence. I grew up in a foster home, me and my two sisters. And it was very known why I ended up in a foster home. Uh, my mother was living a life of crime at the time. She had been on her own since she was 14 years old. And my father was, uh, into drug trafficking at the time. A pivotal moment for me was when I learned for the first time that I was actually in a foster home, and that my foster mom was not my biological mother. Uh, my sisters were my half-sisters. At that moment, it changed a lot in my life. I had to be around 10 years old. And at that point, I kept looking outside the window and kept waiting for my mother and my father to come and get me out of the home. I used to fight a lot, because in my neighborhood, you know, that's what we did, we fought. And I was always a quiet kid. And I was at that time in my age, I was 16 years old. I asked God, I said, God, if you're real, I asked him, I said, please show me something different, because I was literally about to leave. And literally God told me three times, and I heard it so clearly. He said, it's not you, it's not you, it's not you. It was one of the few times I did go to church um, and the pastor was preaching on generational curses. So that stuck with me. That made me feel like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do now if this is true? But again, I went back and I said, nah, God, God couldn't have made me just just to create me to suffer. It has to be more in life than, than just what I'm being told or what I'm seeing and what I'm living. So um, maybe I can change things, or at least I'm gonna hang on to see if things change. So I had just proposed to my wife and um, her mother was attending this church for the first time. And it was Shepherd Church and she asked me one day, she was like, would you like to come to church with me? So I agreed to come with her. That particular sermon was almost as if God was speaking directly to me. For whatever reason, he was preaching on generational curses at that time. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, here we go again about this. I've heard this before. But the way he explained it in the scriptures, he followed up with it, is that Jesus' blessings can overturn any generational curse. And then he starts sharing about Jesus. And to be honest with you, once I read the story of Jesus, it just changed everything for me. About six months later, I ended up dedicating my life to Christ. One of the things that I thought that I wouldn't have any more problems or challenges once I accepted the Lord, everything was going fine in my life. I mean, I'm volunteering. I'm having a great time. My life is on track. My my wife and my kids are doing well. And then, 2007, I got a call that my sister's boyfriend had took her life. And it was hard. I went through a trial for 18 months. Um, but again, because of the church and they had a grieving class that met once a week, um, I attended that and it was, it was perfect for me because sometimes when you lose someone, however you lose them, you lose them and it's, it's, it hurts you, it breaks you. When I had the funeral for my sister, it was in South Central LA, and I saw this uh, tall Caucasian man, <laughs> like six four, and it happened to be my pastor with no security, no one but himself coming down in the heart of South Central Los Angeles, and uh, Pastor Delli was there, and it made all the difference for me in the world, and I said, okay, this guy's solid. He stands by what he preaches. I felt like Pastor Dudley should be in a household name. He should. Everyone should know him because I knew of the impact that he made in my life. And if he can make the impact that he did for a South Central foster kid growing up in LA, that it can make a world of difference only if people heard his teachings and experienced Shepherd Church. So that was my main motivation, It's just trying to get us to every way a person could um, hear our messages, phone, uh, Roku, Apple, um, through TV, through radio, uh, that was my main motivation because people are starving out there. They, they need to hear the word. They need to hear. I love the way Pastor Kelly breaks it down very practical ways so you can apply it to your everyday life. The impact I've seen is, is quite amazing. Honestly, I don't think I have a, enough words to really share. When someone can be flipping the channel, And something that they're going through just speaks, the Word of God just speaks directly to them. To have someone call in, and they're literally in tears because of the message that they heard and was speaking into their life, Um, there's no greater feeling in the world than that. And it shows how the Word of God can penetrate anybody, anyone's background, wherever they are, however they're listening or however they're watching to know that we're making a difference, not just in our community, but we are making a difference around the world. And there's no greater feeling than that.
1: Be sure to join us next week as Pastor Dudley continues with today's message here on Lift Up Jesus. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you are in need of prayer, we invite you to call us at our toll-free number, 888 818 Four seven seven seven. Our Lift Up Jesus phone counselors are ready for any prayer requests you may have at this time. You can also contact us right now if you'd like to receive a copy of today's message on either CD or DVD. Our number again is 888-818-4777. For more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again next week at this same time as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.